Hello, and welcome to Decision NYC with Ben Max. I'm Ben Max, your host and the executive editor of Gotham Gazette. The 2021 New York City election season is underway, and it's poised to be the most significant municipal election in decades. All of city government is on the ballot, and because so few incumbents are eligible to run for their current seats due to term limits, New Yorkers are electing many new office holders and the next roster of leadership for our city. There will be a new mayor of New York City elected here in 2021, as well as a new city controller, new borough presidents, and many new city council members. And that's not all that's on the ballot. A number of incumbents are eligible for and seeking re-election, and there's a very crowded and competitive race for Manhattan District Attorney, and more. Party primaries are set for June, and the general election in the fall will culminate on November 2nd. This is the first full set of municipal elections that will feature early voting, as well as ranked choice voting, a system that applies to party primaries and special elections only. And we'll have a different show on that to explain it at length. This city election cycle will be a, would be of enormous importance under more usual circumstances, but it's unfolding at a time of great crisis for our city, raising the stakes of the decisions that you, the voter, will make. The new wave of city leadership will quite clearly make or break the city's recovery from the devastation of the COVID-19 pandemic and its impact on health, families, jobs, housing, education, and more. Not to mention the many challenges and crises the city was already facing before the pandemic. So we're pleased to bring you this new series of interviews with the candidates running for mayor of New York City, as well as candidates for other offices. These one-on-one -on -one conversations will help you get to know the candidates better, learn about their backgrounds, their platforms, their vision for the future of New York City. We hope this and other interviews will help you sort through your many choices and make an informed decision when it's time to vote. So joining me now by Zoom is Scott Stringer, a Democratic candidate for mayor of New York City. Comptroller Stringer, thank you for joining me. It's good to be here with you on Decision NYC, Ben. Nice to see you. Good to see you too. Thanks for taking the time. So we're going to get into a lot of stuff here in this time together. But first, the, the broad overview for people of who you are, you, your background, what brings you to this moment of, of running for mayor of New York City? Well, look, uh, first of all, thank you again for giving me this opportunity. And I really am excited to share my ideas with you and your viewers. Uh, look, we could start around February 2020. Uh, pre-pandemic when the unemployed, unemployment rate in the city was 3.4%. And over 10 years, we had actually added 970,000 jobs to our economy. And once that virus came here, the unemployment rate went from 3.4% to over 20%. And those 970,000 jobs, we lost 900,000 in about 30 days. This was not the 2008 recession. This was not even after 9-11 or the city's fiscal crisis in the 70s. This was actually akin to the Great Depression. And when you think about the challenges to bring the city back economically, and you overlay it with a real health crisis and a social justice crisis, we really need a mayor with the vision and the skill set to bring our city back to life. And I believe it starts with the value propositions we bring to this campaign and bring to this city. Uh, I'm a public school parent. I want to see great schools for all our children. I wanna see safe streets and I wanna see a way that we can address the health disparities in our city. But I also know that talk is cheap. We need to have specific plans. And as you know all too well, 
as you highlighted in a recent Gotham Gazette article, that I've got many plans specifically to bring this city back. And so I hope we could talk about my small business plan, a specific 25-point plan to bring our businesses, small businesses back to life. And I do want to talk about my low-income housing plan, a specific plan to build the affordable housing that we need, and also to talk about our transportation plan and how we can build the 21st century, 21st century infrastructure. And I think that when you think about the specificity, the specifics of my ideas, rather, you will see that I'm not just running because I want to run, but because I have these ideas that will bring our economy back. I'm glad you laid out a few of the pillars that you're thinking about, about the city's recovery, because we definitely want to get into some of those. Before we look forward a little bit more, you've been city controller now for seven years, entering your eighth and final. What would you highlight for folks in terms of top accomplishments as controller? Are there two or three things you're most proud of, of your seven years so far in the role? Well, there's a lot of work that this office uh, accomplished over the last seven years. Uh, these are accomplishments that I think make me uniquely qualified to be mayor at this time and place. First, when I became controller, one of the things that we realized was that the back office of the controller's office was hemorrhaging. Uh, we saw a, the, the pension fund was really clinging to an older way of uh, managing the money. We really hadn't reformed or upgraded the systems there. And while this will never be focused in the campaign, I did fix the back office. I worked with the team to make sure that we stabilized the pension fund. I did something that no controller or mayor ever was able to accomplish. I took five different pension systems. I turned them into one investment meeting to streamline our investments, take advantage of the times when the times were good and also hedge when the times were bad. So we fixed the way the pension fund was run and we changed the way it functioned for the first time in many, many decades. As a result, I continue to hit my actuarial pension targets. This is, uh, this matters for the 700,000 retirees. But I also took the office to another level. Uh, I leveraged the fourth largest public pension fund so that we could work with our companies, the companies we invest in, to demand more data on diversity. I led the boardroom accountability campaign around the country, holding corporations accountable to making sure more people of color got into the C-suites and on the corporate boards. And we voted shares and organized this around the country. I'm very proud of the work we were able to achieve on diversity in the controller's office. The fact that we letter graded agencies back based on their actual spend with minority and women owned businesses. And we held city hall accountable. I appointed the city's chief first uh, the city's chief uh, diversity officer, something the mayor refused to do, but eventually I got him to do it in every city agency. So when you look at the totality of this work, just in the controller's office, you see a office that became reform oriented, that audited agencies, we found out where the money was buried, where the bodies were buried, and I have a unique perspective on how to make all our agencies function better and work for the people who we serve. So let's stick with that for a minute then. You've uh, uh, promised here in the early mayoral campaign to, quote, manage the hell out of this city, uh, unquote. Um, what does that mean, though? What are a couple, how do you make that concrete for people? Are there a couple of examples you could give to people where your management style, um, you know, would really show itself early on if you're elected mayor? Are there certain ways that you would run uh, the mayor's office, certain high-profile departments, let's say? Are, are there ways you can make that a little bit more concrete for people? First of all, a lot of the work that happens in the beginning of a mayoral race is about your transition and how you attract the best and the brightest people into government. 
And I've always been able to do that, Ben, both as borough president, where I brought in a leadership management team that transformed the borough president's office. Remember, we were the ones who reformed community boards, engaged in community-based planning, and we did it with a diverse group of people uh, in that office. And then we doubled down in the controller's office. Uh, I managed 788 people. Uh, we have deputy, uh, deputy controllers of all different backgrounds, mostly women, who have shown very clearly that in each bucket of work that we do, we have managed to get the capacity of the office to do real things, whether it's looking over the contracts of the city, the 30,000 contracts a year, holding the de Blasio administration accountable, our audits and investigations on homeless shelters, on the overspending of the Department of Education. Is there something, is there something you could point to people to say, this is, this is the, the Scott Stringer management style, you know, rule number one, are you very tough on your employees? Would you, you know, instill a very, um, you know, sort of, very highly accountable structure to city government. Um, you know, what's, is there a, a top management principle that you'd point to? I think what people would say about the way I manage is I do it very effectively by hiring the best people. Uh, mm. There'd be whatever critics I may have, the one thing that I think everyone agrees on is I manage well and I manage an office of great competence, but also we elevate the office. We do the things that no one expected from the office. And that is shown through our audits, through our reports, through our policy initiatives, through the work we're doing on fossil fuel divestment and climate change. I mean, we don't have enough time on the show no. to go agency by agency. But the thing that I want to get across to you, because I know you care about that, is we're doing two things here. I have a record of accomplishment that's real, starting with my reform days in the assembly, through the work I did as borough president, and now managing the fourth largest public pension fund and the Office of Controller, but I also have specific policy proposals that I believe will shape the future of New York City. And that's what I want to get across during the campaign. Great, and, and we'll get to a few, few of those soon. Um, on the city's fiscal crisis, um, there's a lot, as we speak here, you know, it's the end of December, we, there's so many unknowns, things can change very quickly. But uh, we're waiting to see if there will be any federal aid to localities and states. There, has yet to be uh, a big package on that front. There's hope that a Biden administration will make that happen. But in the absence of significant federal aid, what is the answer to, to the city's uh, fiscal crisis, the city's budget crisis? And what do you think of the fact that Mayor de Blasio has come to some agreements with labor unions, but it's mostly just kicking costs uh, down the road a, a bit? What, what are the solutions and what do you think of what he's done so far? So look, I, I think it's a very good question. I think there's a short-term crisis and then there's obviously uh, a longer term set of issues that we have to deal with. But let's talk about the short term. Uh, as controller, I have been tracking the loss of revenue since the onset of the crisis. We see we're many, many billions down from where we were a year ago. But with that said, I now estimate that the current budget deficit going into this year will be 3.8 $8 billion a year. The good news is that's actually a managed, a manageable deficit. The way I would uh, budget is by drawing down about $1.5 billion in our reserves. I would initiate a 3% across the board cut of all city agencies. This would be in lieu of threatening to cut summer youth programs or threatening to lay off workers. All of that is unnecessary right now. And if, especially if we go through a program where we root out waste and fraud. You know, I did that in my office. I cut 4% uh, 
of our $100 million budget. I didn't lay off anybody. I got rid of some outside contracts. I streamlined the bureaucracy. And if the mayor would just take the time to do this work, we would realize another $1.1 billion in savings. Now you're up to $2.6 billion. And thanks to my office and OMB, we've also refinanced a lot of debt to the tune of between $600 million and $800 million. So we are getting close, close to balancing the $3.8 billion budget deficit. I would not have gone to Albany and tried to borrow my way out of the initial crisis, patience and, and smarts was required during that time. I said to the mayor, do not borrow and have walking around money. Let's be prudent and hold that borrowing for a time when we're really gonna need it. And as you said, the big question is what happens if we got no aid? Well, then we still preserve $5 billion in borrowing. And part of being mayor is also being able to understand that you don't have to be reactive if you do the day-to-day -day management of the city. So that's what I mean by managing the hell out of the city. You mm -hmm. got to manage the hell out of the budget. You got to manage the hell out of a strategic plan with Albany to put us on sound financial footing. And what do you make of what the mayor has done with the labor unions? Do you think, you know, there's a lot of discussion that when the city was facing a fiscal crisis in the 70s, you know, labor came to the table in a in a different way. The mayor has made some labor agreements, but like I said, more just, you know, kicking some costs down the road a little bit. Uh, what do you what do you make of that? Does more structural change need to happen with labor agreements at this time? Look, right now we need to uh, work with labor and the business community, similar to the way labor and the business community played such a critical role in bringing the city back to life during the fiscal crisis in the 70s. That's a model that has always worked. Obviously, mayors have to continue to negotiate with labor. That won't change, and that has to continue to go forward. But at the end of the day, we need a plan, a financial plan, both short-term and long-term. Now, the long-term is a federal stimulus package, and we need to do two things. One, we have to get state and local government relief. But here's the question that we need to start talking about. What are the buckets that need to be filled? What do we do when we do have that relief? Everybody thinks, well, once we get all the federal and state money into the city economy, well, we're done, right? But that's not true. So how do we take the, that bucket of money and reimagine and rethink about the city economy? And part of what I wanna do is look at the devastating impact of COVID, that's our health crisis, and look at the devastation. What happened in the Bronx? What happened in Brooklyn? What happened in communities of color? You know, I lost my mom to COVID in April, at the height of the pandemic. And it was her doctor who said to me, you have to understand, this is not a disease that is just taking our parents and grandparents in their 80s with pre-existing health conditions like my mom. What's happening in our hospital in the Bronx is we're losing black people in their 40s, Latino people in their 50s, people suffering from type two diabetes and asthma and obesity. And the doctor was very clear. Government was the problem. You see, we manage people's illnesses, but we never invested enough to solve that. Mm -hmm. The next mayor can't just bring the economy back. It's the way we bring it back and what we invest in because the pandemic showed what discrimination really means. And in this case, it was life or death. And that's why I spend so much time thinking about affordable housing and small business and health disparities as the next mayor, because it's not enough to bring the city back to life, but who are we bringing it back for? It's gotta be for everybody this time.
my condolences again about about your mother. Sorry about that. Oh, um, and I, I thank you. Before we move on to other things, just wanted to um, follow up on the sort of long-term structural budget question. Do you think that um, on labor issues, uh, municipal labor unions and employees need to start contributing to their healthcare premiums? Should they be paying a, a portion of, of those when, when they currently don't? I think right now we have labor agreements that reward the hard work of municipal workers. I'm always amazed that any time that we have an economic misfortune, the first thing we turn to is the people in labor and start taking away their benefits, their health benefits, their, their kids' future. I don't think that's the priority. I think the priority is not about cutting summer jobs as the mayor suggested at the onset of the crisis. I don't think the future is laying off 34,000 municipal workers. What my data as controller shows very clearly is we are not at that bridge. Now that doesn't mean that we're not constantly talking to labor. We're not constantly monitoring the economics of this situation. But right now that is not, that's a false choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, even I mean, even even before this crisis, obviously, there's been talk for a long time about sort of the city's, you know, long term structural fiscal health and whether whether that needs to be tackled, you know, healthcare savings, there's been some achieved under this mayor, but the longer term structural question. So it sounds like that's not something quite yet that you think needs to, to I don't, be. I don't, I don't think we're there in the midst of the pandemic as labor agreements come up and the negotiations go back and forth. Uh, that should be done through the lens of what's the best contract. But I don't think right now that we go after the most vulnerable people, the people who, by the way, many of our city workers were the frontline workers. They Essential were workers, like, yeah. Well, they were the ones who gave up their lives, the, the MTA workers, the city workers. Look at the teachers who every day risk their lives teaching our kids, or well, yours aren't old enough yet. Almost. I, have a, I have a son in, this, in public school right now. A teacher is risking everything to teach my child. So you mentioned you've mentioned the economy a couple of times, and of course that's the other side of the coin with the city's fiscal issues. You know, if we want if we want again to have revenue coming in at the levels it was before the pandemic, we need to figure out ways to revive the city economy. What do you think are a couple of pillars to to reviving the city economy? Um, and if you were mayor, you know, right now, are there things you'd be doing to try to ensure a faster economic recovery uh, than we might be seeing? Well, the the way we open the economy is through the lens of medicine and health. So every decision that we make has to be about how we keep people safe. Second, how we manage the vaccine that is coming. The quicker we are able to get that vaccine to people throughout our city in a fair and just way, the quicker we can bring the economy back. But we can't wait for uh, the vaccine to be present everywhere. We have to start looking at the different challenges in the different economies of the city, and we need a specific plan. So for example, what, what's the biggest challenge given this health pandemic? You know, opening up our, our hotels and, and, and Broadway and all of our cultural institutions, that's a challenge because we have to think about how we do that and what we prepare for uh, before there's total inoculation. So I think we need to double down on outdoor dining. I think we've got to move theater and culture into the streets of this city, not just closing a street here and there, but sort of reimagining what the culture mecca of New York will look like, not just on in Times Square, but in all of our communities. The one thing outdoor dining taught us was that 
we have tremendous possibilities. I wanted to see outdoor learning in our schoolyards. We didn't do that, but we definitely have to have a plan by April to move the uh, uh, transitional cultural economy into the streets. That has to be done sooner rather than later. And then second, we also have to think about what we're gonna do to sort of conquer the health disparities in our city. I said, look, this is the time now to think about a different way of using resources in our neighborhoods. We have a specific plan for that. But part but the biggest challenge we also have to face is how do we help our small businesses? You know, we've lost thousands of small businesses, 525,000 jobs were lost. And if the, many of these small businesses are in immigrant communities and communities of color, we have got to go in there and do the following under my plan. They need tax breaks because the costs of shifting outdoors has been pretty expensive. We also need to incentivize new businesses to go to hollowed out commercial corridors. We now have 17 million square foot of, of vacant storefront space. So I wanna give those incentives to those businesses. Three, small business services. Get out into every store and help build a tech, a tech platform so that we can add revenue to some of these small businesses. You know, there are some people who have mastered deliveries in tech, and then there are others because of language barriers or because of different you know, experiences and lack of resources, they don't have the same internet capacity. We should mobilize a tech core to go in and service every single business. And I could continue to talk specifically about how we do that. Those are certainly a few good highlights. And, and as you mentioned, you know, people should look up the, the rest of the details of some of your plans. We'll try to hit on a variety of things here. Just quickly, one more on the economy. Are you, would you be a mayor who's sort of on the phone with some of the biggest corporations and trying to bring, you know, big corporations, you know, not to relitigate the Amazon uh, deal, because we're not going to do that here. But, you know, are you are you the type of mayor who would be focused on the small businesses, as you just mentioned, but also trying to be on the phone with some of the big executives uh, whether they already have offices in the city or you're trying to lure them here. Is that the type of approach you'd also take? Well, why, why can't we start with Amazon? <laughs> tell, to, well, yeah, tell us what, what you want to do about Amazon. So under a Stringer administration, we don't do deals of that magnitude in secret. Uh, we don't lead with a heliport. Uh, we don't tell the community what they're getting. We actually go back to the work I I did as borough president, where we go back to community-based planning, we listen to stakeholders, and we come up with economic development projects that meets the needs of our communities. You know, if you look at the rezonings over the last few years, especially the ones that were housing-based, uh, we allowed developers to build luxury development and sprinkle in a few units of affordable housing. Ben, in many of our neighborhoods, that affordable housing was actually unaffordable to the people in the community. So we ended up gentrifying whole neighborhoods, increasing homelessness, and basically giving away the city land. I have a completely different approach on how we do this work. It has to be community-based, the mayor has to be involved, and that's what I would do to jumpstart our economy. Yes, the larger answer is I want business here. I want people from all over the world to continue to come here. Entrepreneurs, not just big business, but business, the people, who are creative and the way we make people come here is not just the traditional, I'll give you tax breaks, right? That's a 1990s proposition. The way we're gonna attract people is the way we should, which is to create open space and park space, the best school system. I want people to realize that this is the city you come to if you want 
to live among diverse people with different languages and culture. And we've got to market our city for the new 21st century economy. I believe everyone who left will come back because who really wants to live in Texas for God's sake? And everybody who is deciding where to go in the world will come here if the next mayor shows uh, the ability to govern, to manage the hell out of the city, but also to have a sense of passion about equality and social justice. And, and you hit on it uh, here, but you know that also gets into a delicate balance around housing, right? And, and anybody who you're trying to attract to come here wants to know that there'll be affordable housing. The people who already live here don't wanna be displaced by people coming here uh, for jobs and opportunities. And everybody wants there to be enough housing and enough affordable housing. You have a plan to mandate uh, affordable housing in, in all new construction, wherever it might happen in the city. Are you prepared, though, to tell a variety of communities around the city that they need to accept more housing, especially uh, wealthier communities? Well, see, here's, here's the thing. You don't tell people what to expect. You work with people to arrive at a place where we balance the, the unique aspects of a community with the hope and the ability to find uh, ways to create affordable housing. But my plan is very simple. We do need to build universal affordable housing. The piecemeal development approach is creating a city for the very, very wealthy with enclaves for the very poor. Nothing is, any, is, is aspirational and the failed housing policies must change. So with as of right development, we need to set aside real affordable housing. I also think we have to take advantage of the vacant land in this city. You know my proposal, create a land bank turn that land back to the people and community-based organizations. Reform 421A, put the subsidy to actually build the affordable housing that we need. And that is gonna be my approach. In fact, I would say so far out of every any candidate in the race, you can see exactly where I stand because not only have I put out a low-income housing plan, I've also talked about what, uh, uh, we also address the issues related to homelessness instead of managing the system. Lastly, we've siloed homelessness and low-income housing. We've got to merge the two if we're really going to reduce homelessness. And unfortunately, I only have a few minutes left, so I also want to get to um, uh, crime and policing. But just lastly on housing, you uh, came out in support of, of upzoning in the Soho area. Are, are you prepared to support um, upzoning other wealthier neighborhoods in the city to increase housing density and not have it be, you know, continue to be in uh, lower income communities of color like the de Blasio administration has done? Well I, well, I, well, I said it. I mean, I think that, look, I'm not suggesting in Soho that we build 80 story buildings, but we can certainly within the scale of this very special community, we can find our way to uh, affordable housing. And that's what I'm saying. Uh, yeah. Look, I believe that we have to make sure that we don't overrun our communities with overdevelopment but every neighborhood has to do its share. And that and is- believe in, in the uh, concept of comprehensive planning cycles for the city that's just been introduced in the city council? I've been talking about that before any bill was introduced because okay. we invented it when I was borough president. You know, right. History is not kind to people who were doing things that uh, many years ago, but my, my view is very simple. I believe that we need to give communities the resources to compete with the $1,000 an hour land use lawyers who come to communities with big development plans, but communities do not have the leverage 
or the ability to navigate the zoning process that we have. That's why as borough president, I created the Urban Fellows Program. So I put urban planning graduate students into communities to give them the ability to do the work needed to create community-based plans. Remember 197A, the ability for a community to come up with a, a real plan. I wanna go back to that because once you have a community plan and once everyone's at the table, then everybody is going to be successful, I believe. In our last couple of minutes here, unfortunately, uh, have to keep a few things uh, brief, but the NYPD um, budget is roughly $6 billion in operating costs. There's several other billions in, um, you know, pension costs and um, capital costs. Do you think there needs to be a significant reduction in the annual uh, police budget, especially given the crime increase we've seen in 2020? Look, there's the way to look at every city agency is to look at how we find efficiencies that keep the agency doing its core mission, uh, but also saving money by creating, by doing the hard work and due diligence. Uh, the police department budget has grown and grown from 3.9% 3.9 billion under Bloomberg to 6 billion uh, with de Blasio. It would be malpractice if we could not save money in these economic times in the PD and every other budget. And at the end of the day, policing uh, is a lot more complicated than a budget cut, right? And the things that we have to recognize, and this is where we have to combine safety with social justice. And I hope to have a robust conversation about that during the campaign. Is the current NYPD headcount, let's say it's around 35,500, is that something you think is the right number? Do you think, that, and that's the uniform headcount, do you think that's about the right number or do you think there should be a decrease in the headcount of uniformed officers? Well, let me say this. I don't think headcount determines, totally determines a safe city. There's a lot of factors that go into policing. One of the biggest factors is prevention. You announce a prevention is worth a pound of cure. And there's a lot of ways to build out a system uh, that utilizes mental health care workers, utilizes people other than the police to do uh, the kind of mentoring and, and building of trust in communities, especially communities of color. Look, we have to recognize uh, Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and Eric Garner and make sure that we don't have over-policing in communities of color. That was why I was one of the first people who looked like me who said enough to stop and frisk. We can do better as a city. But I also wanna say that I'm also a kid from the 1970s who grew up in Washington Heights. And I remember when there were 2000 murders a year. And I remember when the A train was a rolling crime scene. So. I wanna see a new police department and I'm gonna have a plan for that as I've issued other specific plans. Uh, just give me a minute to get through the holidays and we'll have that discussion. Because look, okay. at the end of the event, it's important. I'm gonna win or lose this election based on my experience in government and the vision I lay out. And that's why I wanna be judged. I have two final, very short uh, question and answers for you. One is if you had to give a letter grade to Mayor de Blasio for his tenure, what would it be? Look, obviously, I have been one of his biggest critics, and uh, I applaud him for pre-K and some of the work that he did, so I don't want to, you know, be disrespectful, but I do think we don't want a de Blasio third term. I think we want somebody who has never been afraid to stand up to Bill de Blasio. That's me, uh, and I think we want somebody who has their own bold ideas. You know, this do is you have about... a letter. 
You have a letter grade for him? I'm not gonna, you know, I could say a letter grade, but it, it really doesn't do justice to the challenges facing us. Lastly, um, can you name one or two if you want, uh, but we don't have time for explanations, unfortunately, but can you name one or two role models you have in politics that you um, want people to know or sort of people that you try to follow in their footsteps, either current or past uh, political figures? You know, as a, as a kid, I read every book I could get my hands on about Robert Kennedy and his moment in history. And it's, it's a similar moment today when we do have unrest and discrimination, but we also have to make this city better. And I always thought he was somebody I tried to emulate. And look, I was very lucky as a child to grow up campaigning for my cousin, Bella Abzug. And so I appreciate the moment of protest and wanting this next generation to have a better life. So I try to combine those two individuals okay. uh, and I'll let it stay there. All right. Well, City Comptroller Scott Stringer is a candidate for mayor. Thank you for the time. And thank you for watching Decision NYC with Ben Max. Key decisions for New York City voters are coming up in June and the fall. There's a lot on the line for all of us and the future of our city. I hope this conversation and others are helpful to you as you make your choices. I'm Ben Max. See you next time.